Good morning. Kind of caught me off guard. I'm over there fumbling around in the bulletin and stuff. And Oh, wait, there they go. There go the kids. That's my cue. You know, it's funny. Larry mentioned that uh, that uh, there was a, uh, I don't remember if it was a radio station or someplace. They're not going to play that song anymore. Baby, it's cold outside. Baby, it's cold outside. And, you know, and I, you listen to that song and, you know, to me, there's nothing bad about that song, but I could see how some people would be like, I don't know about that song, because, you know, here you got some guy, he's trying to sucker some woman into, come on, baby, I wanted you you stay here, you know, it's cold outside, you know. I always told Kayla, and I tell kids at school, you know, boys try to sweet talk you like that, and you give them five good reasons to you know, baby, I'm leaving, and here, I'm going to give you five good reasons why, you know, I don't care if it's cold outside, I'm going home, you know, but, uh, but Larry's absolutely right, um, you know, we live in a culture, we live in a world, could you turn down my sound just a smidge, I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm yelling, but, uh, yeah, there you go, thank you, um, but the world does, uh, is very anti-Christ, and there's no doubt that, you know, in the scriptures, it, it sort of told us that, you know, don't be surprised by this. So why are you surprised about the, the fiery ordeal that goes on around you? Jesus himself said, you know, you know the world's going to hate you because of me. You know, because, because of my first advent, because I came into this world, you know, in the future, Christians will want to celebrate that. Don't be surprised when the world looks at Christmas and says, we hate that. We hate everything about it, so we're going to create uh, something to replace that. Uh, yeah, uh, Santa Claus is going to come to town, and and we we come up with all of these other stories and uh, traditions and things that sort of cover up all that. And uh, I remember years ago we did a uh, it wasn't really a cantata; it was more of a play, I think, and. It kind of captured the essence of the modern Christmas. Everybody was rushing around. We had a table set up with a bunch of clothes, and some of the women were fl- clothes were flying all over the stage. Oh, look at the deals! And and Kara Dickerson, she was real tiny at the time. She was up here, and and I was playing the part of a reporter. And I said, "So, Kara, tell me, what is the uh, what's the meaning of Christmas?" And she goes, Santa Claus's birthday. And everybody went, oh, you know, that was the part of the of the play that, you know, it all led up to that. And for so many people, they look at that, and you know, Christmas really, it's not about Christ. It's about presents and 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 Santa Claus and traditions and all many of those things are wonderful. I don't want to discount those because I enjoy a lot of those things. But that's not the meaning of Christmas. And so, yeah, as we enter into these times, where more and more I think the you know the the culture, the world looks at Christians and says, "We we hate your Christ, and we hate your Christmas, and we're going to do anything we can to." You know, to cover it up, to deny what it really is, what what the true meaning of Christmas is all about. But the Bible says, he who endures to the end will be saved. Don't let it get you down. Keep hanging in there. You know what the real meaning of Christmas is all about. And uh, we can celebrate that as, as God's people. 
you have your Bibles, open up to Isaiah chapter 64. Last week I talked about how, you know, the Christmas message, we celebrate the coming of the Christ, the Messiah that had been looked forward to for so many years by the Jewish people. And yet there's more to it than that. It's more than just Jesus came into the world, he lived and then he died, the end. No, there's a lot more to that. Because Jesus will come again in a second advent. And we need to look forward to that. Just as, as, uh, as the Jewish people were looking for the Messiah, and Jesus came, and, and some of the Jews were able to figure that out, ah, the Messiah is here. We still look forward to that same Messiah coming again. Isaiah chapter 64 now, this is one, you, typically you don't hear at Christmas time, but this is a prayer for mercy and help. Isaiah chapter 64, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. You ever pray that to God? Oh, God, I've had it for today. Why don't you just come today, Jesus? Uh, you, know, you know, come today, God, send his son. Uh, let's, let's get to it. This is Isaiah right here. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. As fire kindles the brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things, which we did not expect, you came down, the mountain quaked at your presence. I think the people out in Alaska, they understand what an earthquake is now. I haven't talked to Bertie about it yet, but I don't know if any of her family were affected by the earthquake. It's funny, when, when Mother Nature reasserts herself, we suddenly realize, oh, you know, maybe we're not as you know, all-powerful as we thought we were. Anyways, back to what Isaiah is saying, verse 4. For from days of old they have not heard or perceived by ear, nor has the eye seen a God besides you, who acts in behalf of the one who waits for him. That's us. You know, we're waiting for, for God to move, to do something. You meet him who rejoices in doing righteousness, who remembers you in your ways. Behold, you were angry, for we sinned. We continued in them a long time. And shall we be saved? For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. And all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls on your name, who arouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the power of our iniquities. He's speaking about the, the, the people of Israel, the Jewish people, who had turned their back on God again and again and again. And now God has hid his face from them. You people make me sick. I can't take it. Verse 8, but now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are potter. In all of us are the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, O Lord, nor remember iniquity forever. Behold, now look, all of us are your people. Here's Isaiah. He, 
you really get the idea. He's waiting for something big to happen. He's, he's crying out to God, God, you've been gone for so long. Will you please come and, 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 and be God? Do your thing. Make the mountains quake. But I get it, God. We've turned from you. We're sinful. We've, we've turned away from you. How long are you going to keep your face hidden? When I was a young kid one time at Christmas time, we got my sister and I got in trouble. We would finally drove Mom up the wall, and she'd had it. And I remember she took our Christmas lists and she ripped them in half and threw them in the, in the trash can. And we looked at each other like, oh! You know, I remember for days we were like, how long is mom going to be mad at us? You know, how long is this going to go on? And, and sure enough, we found them later. She had taken them back out of there and thought better of it later. But yeah, we, uh, we were sweating it there for a while. I mean, my, God, or, you know, our mom had... Uh, you know, we we really went overboard this time. And she's going to punish us good. When are we going to get our mom back? When are you going to forgive us, mom? This is Isaiah talking to God here. God has taken the things from Israel and he's torn it up, throwing it away. Head up with you guys. And here's Isaiah. God, how long? You know, have mercy on us. You're right, God. We were wrong. We were sinners. And we need your, your love. We need your forgiveness. And then God's going to do something mighty. God will come on the scene. The, the mountains will quake at your presence. Like, like fire kindles the brushwood and starts a flame. I saw on uh, YouTube one of the big fires in California was started by a gender reveal party. I don't know if you saw that. Uh, the family was out there and of course, they picked the, all this dried-out brush. Seems like the good place to set off an explosion, you know. Well, they're like, they set off this thing, and all this blue smoke flies into the air. Oh, it's a boy! That's a wonderful thing, until everything caught on fire, and the people were like, oh, boy. You know, it's God's desire that he reveal himself again to his people. It's God's desire that at one time in the future, he will send his son to this world again. That is God's will. That is part of his plan. Are we looking forward to that time? Are we looking forward for something big to happen? A former student of mine and her husband, who is now a principal at a different school, they are huge Price is Right fans. The Price is Right. If you were ever a kid growing up in the 70s or the 80s and you got sick, you stayed home and you watched The Price is Right. All right, all summer long, you watch Bob Barker do his thing. And, you know, it was such a hugely popular TV game show. It's still popular. And uh, the best part of it, my, my friend said, her name is Janelle, she said... Uh, you know, when you get tickets, you stand in line, and then we all go in. And then there's that moment between when you kind of assemble to the beginning of the show, and everybody's looking around at each other like, who's going to get called? Who's it going to be? Somebody's going to, come on down! And it's like, oh man, I hope it's me. And they sit, sit there, and, and then they wait, and you know, and the anticipation is about to get them. They're waiting for something big to happen. 
Here we go, Mark Agathard, come on down. You're up. And he runs run down there. And... Well, Isaiah is waiting for something big. He's challenging the, the people of Israel, you know, the Jewish people. We've got to get ready for something big. Something big's going to happen. Unfortunately, most of them miss the fact that Jesus was sent into the world, and that he was created at that particular time as, as God's son, and he lived as a, as a person and, and died on our behalf. But that's not the end of the story. And what Isaiah said at that time is true of us today. We have to get ready. Are you getting ready beyond just Christmas? How do you get ready for Christmas? I know for some people it's incredibly stressful. You know, the, the holiday season is like, oh, I got all these... All these things I got to get done. And how many of you have gotten your gift shopping complete? All right, a couple of you, three or four of you. See, you don't have to worry about the stress now. It's all pretty well, pretty well. How many of you are like, like the way I used to do it? I'd wait till like two or three days before Christmas. You know, we, you know what? We ought to probably ought to pick something up for, you know, so you run around and oh yes. Have you decided what Christmas cookies you're going to make this year? Are you going to make fudge? Are you going to do this? Have you written out your Christmas cards yet? That's you know, supposed to be something fun that you do. And a lot of people, it turns into this hugely stressful thing. I got all these cards I got to write. Did you put up the Christmas tree? I saw the one out there and all this, very beautiful. I was over at one of my, my teacher friend's house. We were watching all the championship games. His wife started at 8 o'clock and was fiddling around with this Christmas tree trying to get the lights to work. It was a self-lighted Christmas tree. All the lights were already on there. And there was one bulb out, and she could not figure out which one it was. And she worked on that thing all day long, um, all into the evening. And sure enough, when it was time to leave, at 12.30 in the morning, I'm heading out the door. She's still over there bent down playing around with these lights. Trying to get that thing to go. I wanted to laugh, but then I thought, you know what, this must really be important to her. If she spent all day working on this thing. She's waiting for something big. Christmas is something big for her. Of course, stores, they, they're ready for Christmas. It's big money time for them. Some stores were putting up their Christmas stuff before Halloween. They're ready to go. But, you know, on one hand, it's never too early to get started on something big. You know, Advent, that we're celebrating here, it's a time of expectation, of anticipation. You know, when will the Messiah come? It's a celebration that the fact that Jesus came into the world 2,000 years ago, that Jesus has come into the hearts of those who believe and has caused us to be born again, to become the children of God, in that Jesus will come back again and usher in God's kingdom in all its fullness. I'm not satisfied with simply looking at the gospel message. It does not end with the crucifixion and the creation of the church. The story's not done yet. Do you really believe it? Do you really believe that Jesus is coming again? Or is that just like Santa Claus? Jesus is coming again. 
And the same expectation that they had waiting for the Messiah to appear for the very first time. That expectation should be with all of us. Hoping and waiting for the time that God sends his son back to the world. Isaiah reminds God in his passage about how, you know, God, you've come and helped us in the past. And I know that you'll come again. Now, it's interesting, though, before he allows himself to understand that that God loves his children and that God has a plan and God will send the Messiah. I'm glad that he took some time, almost as a reminder to himself and to the, the, the people of Israel, you know, yes, the Messiah is coming. He's coming for us, to benefit us, because we're God's people. But we have to understand that we've really screwed up Part of this anticipation of knowing that Jesus is coming is a, is a reconciliation with the fact that we are sinners. And God paid a price through the, the, the creation, the first advent of His Son, who lived and then died for us. There was a reckoning there that had to be paid. Before Christ comes into our hearts, there's got to be a reckoning for us. We have to confess our sins, and repent. You know, in order to be ready for the second coming of Christ, I think we have to confess our sins and repent. One of the things, as I look back over the last couple of years, the things that I've preached and have talked about, there's no doubt that I'm a firm believer in pre preaching the gospel. Okay, I'm not a seven points to life, and you know, those things are important. But I feel like my mission is, is to preach the gospel. And part of the gospel is the idea of a reconciliation with sin and with repentance. And some days I feel like I've overdone it with the, the, uh, the, the forgiveness part to the point where we can do anything at any time. God will forgive us. Oh, the people at church, they'll forgive me. I can do whatever I want. That's a cheap grace. And so as we look forward to Christ coming, I do. I love the fact that we do communion at least once a month because that's, that's a time where we have to stop. Ask ourselves, where are you with your, your walk with the Lord? This is not all about, oh, peace and love and forgiveness. Sin is serious business. Confession is a clearing house in order for us to, to seek mercy from God. You know, true confession washes away this, this sense of pride, of arrogance, that we can somehow save ourselves. I could be good enough. You know, eventually the guilt will go away and everything will be fine. But Advent comes around every year to judge us and reminds us that we're all sinners. It's not just Easter time that we have to deal with this idea of, of sin. And I want to preach the gospel even at Christmas. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 1. This is a challenge to me as much as anybody. 1 John is a letter written by, of course, John, the Apostle John. And 
Uh, I want to read chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. Think about this. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, with God, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Let me say that again. If you know God, and you say you have fellowship with him, and yet you actively tolerate sin in your life, the Bible says you're a liar. We lie. We do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with him, one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Of course we're sinners. We're all sinners. The problem is, some of us continue to tolerate sin in our lives, myself included. I'm not pointing fingers. Maybe I'm pointing at me. There are things in my life that I know I should get rid of. When I was a little kid, I would read passages like, you know, if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. And I'm like, holy cow. Man, I don't want to go through life with no arms and my eyeballs poked out. and I don't want to be a sinner, you know, but, but you think about it, it would be better. Jesus said it would be better if you did those things than to tolerate sin and risk, uh, as he said, being thrown into the hell. So as we look forward to the second coming of Christ, this first coming, this Advent season, we talk about, we talk about Jesus as this little baby. But that's only part of it. He's coming again. Sin has consequences. Isaiah reminded Israel and, and that for us, our own efforts to save ourselves leave us like filthy rags, contaminated, impure, nasty. I always think about the locker room up at the football arena. After about three months, some of the kids, they don't take their stuff home. And you go around and you'll look... You got t-shirts that they'd stand up by themselves. You know, it's like, it's, it's crusty and almost solid. And it's like, ugh. And kids will still grab that and put it on for practice. They'll run out and they stink and they come back in. Oh, yeah, and they put that in there. I'll wear it tomorrow. Your righteousness is like that filthy rag. It's like a dirty pair of socks. Contaminated. Because in our own strength, like Isaiah said, we're like leaves. We, we fall away. We blow away. Faded. Vulnerable. How are we getting ready for Christmas? It's more than just getting ready for presents and cookies and things. I think there needs to be a time of reflection of ourselves. Am I ready for the coming of Jesus? Am I ready for the coming of 
my Lord, my Savior, as he comes back to this world? Do I understand that sin still will be dealt with? That there are consequences for sin that goes on and on? We live in a society where we feel like if you do something bad, you pay for it, it's over. That's it. You're, you're, you're square with the man. This year in football, Jimmy had a kid on his team that, uh, really good kid, big kid, huge. You really get these once in a while at Graham, and so we're like, man, this kid could really be a good one, you know, so we're really trying to bring this kid along. Well, like most seventh graders, I mean, he's got the body of, like, this monster, but his, bra- his brain's like a dinosaur brain sometimes. <laughs> so he's in class, and apparently he dropped an F-bomb, and teacher heard him and nailed him for it, and I don't know what happened, I forget. Maybe he got an after school or something. But anyways, he got in trouble. And then Jim found out about it, and then he nailed him again. Oh, yeah, well, you're going to sit out the whole first half of our last game against Northwestern. We're going up to Northwestern. Northwestern's improving. I have to laugh at Jimmy. He said as soon as he said it, he wished he, wouldn't, he didn't punish him quite that bad. I should have said maybe the first series or two. But, no, nope, I said it the first half. You're sitting. And the kid did. He sat the whole first half. And his dad, who's a great guy, came up a little bit later. He was like, yeah, I don't quite... You know, aren't you punishing him twice? I mean, he got in trouble at school. The principal got him, and then now you're going to punish him again for... And Jim said, look, I don't care what happened at school. He's a football player. One of the rules is you don't curse on this team. He cursed. Boom! There's a consequence. I'm sorry that he got punished there. He's getting punished here. It didn't just punish him. It punished all of us. We darn near lost the game. I wish that kid, you know, we're like, man, I wish that kid was out there. But we won. But consequences go on and on. There's a kid at school right now who did something horrible uh, in his 8th grade year. He's now a sophomore. And now every time the kid looks at somebody cross-eyed, people run to the principal and they say, this kid's ready to shoot up the place. He's going to blow us up. And people are scared to death. And the kid can't understand, you know, I'm trying and trying to to start over again. I'm trying to do right. And I, I don't want people to be afraid of me. And And he sat there and he just cried and he cried. And I'm sorry, son, the reality is when you screw up like that, that follows you a long time. You don't get to decide when the consequence ends. It's the same thing with sin in our lives. Now, yes, Jesus paid for sin once and for all. But the fact that he died on the cross for my sins doesn't mean that I'm not going to die. For the wages of sin is death. Now I'm forgiven. I have no doubt. But yet, the wages of sin is death. It's like the kid on the football team. We love that kid. You're our guy. We love you. We're right there with you. But the wages of cursing is you don't play for a whole half. Turn to Mark chapter 13. I'm about to break into my uh, Pentecostal bit, Jim, so I promised him at least once before my time was done. And no, I'm not going to jump up on the thing and dance like I did online the other day, so. 
you know, do that. And everybody. You guys got to run around the, the sanctuary, though, remember? That, that was part of the deal. So, Anyways, Mark chapter 13, Jesus is talking about things to come, starting in verse 24 of Mark chapter 13. But in those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. And they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send forth the angels, and will gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end of heaven. Are we talking about getting ready for Christmas here? This isn't Christmas. This is the second coming. We need to be preparing for that as much as we prepare for Christmas because all of us know Christmas is a wonderful time. It's a time for family. It's a time for friends. It's a time to reconnect. But we also need to be preparing for the day that Jesus comes. Again, the the secular world measures time of preparation before Christmas, by the number of shopping days until Christmas. How many shopping days do we have left? Does anybody know? 21 shopping days. Preparation, we got 21 days. Mark them down. The church measures its time of preparation in terms of the number of days remaining until the time when Jesus will return to the earth in glory and power. Sometimes I wish he would have said, this is the day. Be ready. He didn't do that for us, did he? He simply said, I'm coming again. Don't bother trying to calculate it. Don't try to bother figuring it out. It's going to come when you least expect it, but it's going to happen. I want to get ready for it. I, uh, you know, I love to get caught up in the Christmas spirit. I want to be. I like to put up and decorate the tree. Or, I mean, I love to watch Neola put up the tree. And Kayla promised to help, but she never does. But, but eventually the, the tree will go up a little bit. And... <laughs> I like Christmas cookies. I like, uh, you know, Helen, our neighbor, may always makes a tin full of stuff and sends it over. And I, and I like that. I like going to my parents on Christmas morning. I like, there's so much about it that I just enjoy and I love. But if the theme of the first Sunday in Advent is to focus our attention on the real meaning of Christmas, we have to realize that celebrating the birth of Jesus was important and is important because these people eagerly waited for the Messiah to come. And he did. And we as the church are eagerly awaiting the coming of the Messiah again to establish a new heavens, a new earth, to establish his kingdom upon this earth. That is not fantasy. So many Christians say they believe that, but I have to wonder, do you really believe it? He's coming again. I'm simply saying we we need to recapture the sense of eager anticipation about the second coming of Christ, which was present in in the early church. And I think that's what Isaiah was was praying for. We need to get our attitudes correct. 
We need to eagerly anticipate when God will come, when, when He will move again into this earth, when He will send His Son. Because the day will come when He will make the mountains quake. That's what Isaiah was, was praying for. A Chinese Confucius scholar who had been converted to Christ, he once told this story. He said, a man fell into a dark, dirty, slimy pit. Now before I get into that story, one of the, the, the neat, uh, in, uh, trauma counseling, one of the things that's helpful to help people understand what empathy really is, you know, if uh, somebody falls into a deep pit and they're hurting down there, a lot of us like to stand at the top of the pit. How you doing down there? I'm hurting. I need help. Well, I tell you what, if uh, if somebody comes by here, uh, we'll we'll throw a rope down to you. We'll help you down there. I got my eye on you. I'm watching you. Empathy is going to the pit and saying, "Are you all right down there?" No, I'm hurting. Just a minute. And you crawl down the, into the pit with them. And you get down there into the pit. The Chinese scholar, you know, a man fell into a dark, dirty, slimy pit. He tried to climb out, but he couldn't. And so Confucius comes along. He saw the man in the pit and he said, Oh, poor fella, if, if you'd have just listened to me, you wouldn't have fallen in there. And, and then he walks away. <laughs> you should have listened to me. And Buddha comes along. Buddha comes walking up there. and Buddha saw the man in the pit and he said, Oh, poor guy. If you come up out of that pit, I'll help you all I can. You just come on out of there and I'll help you. But the man didn't get out of the pit because he couldn't. So Buddha walked away. Then Jesus Christ came and said, Poor guy, guess what Jesus did? He jumped down into the pit. He lifted the guy out of the pit. That's what Jesus does for us. That's what we have to look forward to. That's what Isaiah was praying for. God, we don't just need to know you. We don't just need to know about you. God, we're sinners. We're, we've messed up. God, come down into this hole where I'm stuck and get me out of here. And through the life of Jesus, he did that. That big hole is called sin. And Jesus not only jumped down into that hole for you, he got you out of that hole, and Jesus paid the price. He stayed in the hole. Let me, let me, let me take that on. Let me do this for you. That's what grace is. And so as we come into this Christmas season, my prayer for all of us, again, is to celebrate Christmas as remember, we remember the birth of Jesus Christ. But also that that's not where it stops. And that we need to examine ourselves all the time. Do we tolerate sin? We shouldn't play loose and free with it. If we're going to get ready for something big to happen, if we're going to get ready... For that, that Christmas morning, if we're going to get ready for the second coming of Christ, it takes some time where we have to examine ourselves and prepare ourselves for that, that big event for when it happens. Because that's when the story of Christmas is really complete.
Shall we pray? Father, I thank you for this day. And I thank you, God, that even in the midst of the Christmas season, we can stop and think about what the gospel message really is. Lord, as we go about getting ready for Christmas and celebrating and loving our families and our friends, help us to remember your eternal plan. That Jesus came into the world for a purpose. Our Messiah has come. He lived his life. He showed us what you were like. And then he died for us. A sacrifice for our sins. But it doesn't end there, Lord. Help us to look forward to the day when Jesus comes again. And help us to be prepared for that day. Help us not to play around with sin in our lives. Help us to, to cut it out. So that no one can call us a liar. Father, I love you today. I love this congregation. I pray, God, that you would bless us and help us to turn our eyes and our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen.